Let me introduce our speaker today. David the Ivy is our... Dave is our youth pastor, and um, you know I've watched Dave grow and develop over the past. How long have you been with Polaris? As a congregation member? Yeah, like uh, 12 years, something. 2001. Yeah, 12, 12, 13 years, and went from congregation college kid to youth intern, and it just continues to grow. I'm really proud of you. We are all really proud of you, and uh, here we go. <laughs> Don't worry, I won't use this as a weapon. So, you know, Pat was talking about during his uh, communion thought about New Year's resolutions and waiting the next year, and I keep on thinking Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Browns, Cleveland Browns. Maybe next year I'll root against them, I don't know. Uh, I am not in black because I support the Steelers, I just think I look better in black. Uh, so, good morning, Merry Christmas. I hope everyone enjoyed their Christmas celebration with family and friends, and uh, it was a little bit on hyperdrive at the Ivy household. Uh, we have a 11-month-old by the name of Liam, and he is awesome, and he has made uh, our Christmas celebration so much more special for my wife and I. For, like I said, for those who don't know me, I'm David Ivey. My wife is Jacqueline. Um, we have the honor of, of serving the students at Polaris, and, and that's how I look at ministry when it comes from my end. I serve them. That's my job, uh, and I, I love doing so. So real quick, kind of survey for you all. This little section here and scatter throughout. True or false? I like Christmas. That would be false. I love Christmas. <laughs> Christmas is amazing. I am Christmas guy. Jim Rome, who's a talk show host on, uh, on national uh, radio, there's different kind of guys. There's baseball guy, there's football guy. I'm Christmas guy, which means this. I love seeing Christmas ornaments and trees in stores in September. I enjoy putting my Christmas soundtrack together around August, September. I love hearing Christmas music. My, um, my son, who isn't old enough to complain yet, uh, has listened to it for about five months now. Uh, I put my Christmas lights up in November. I'm not allowed to turn them on, but I put them up. Uh, if I had my choice, they'd be up all year. Uh, and I try to press it a little bit every year to my wife's uh, rolling eyes. But I just love this time of year. And it's special. And it's something that I love hearing songs about our Savior going into a store. And I'm bummed when we leave and we don't hear him anymore. So preparing for the sermon and, and thinking about having my little son and, and how much joy he's brought in and, and things I'm thinking about this past year, I have learned so much from being Liam's dad. It's cool. And, and as much as he's learned and grown and developed over 11 months, I have grown probably just as much. So as I'm preparing for this, I started thinking about what it had to be like to be Mary and Joseph. I mean, Mary and Joseph, you know, we don't really read anything in the Bible about having to watch Jesus cut teeth and cry. And, and we don't hear about Mary getting up in the middle of the night to feed uh, baby Jesus. We don't hear about him trying to walk and bump his head. Um, we don't hear him trying to get himself in some danger. In fact, you know, outside the Christmas story, you know, Mary and Joseph are mentioned, but they're not focused on the way they are for the Christmas story. 
So today I want to take some time and I want to look at a story about the parents that were Mary and Joseph. And in comparison to what I have learned over this year being Liam's dad. Now, before we get to the story, there's a little things that happen after Christmas. You know, there's the Christmas story, and then they have the, I call it the after Christmas story. The Bible tells us that eight days after uh, Jesus' birth, he goes to the temple and he's blessed and he's circumcised, just like, you know, any young Jewish little boy would have been. They tell us that the wise guys didn't show up at the manger, so it ruins my nativity scene at home. But it still looks nice, so I have to keep them there. The Bible tells us that the wise men, and they didn't say three, they just said wise, wise men, showed up at a house in Bethlehem. Also says that King Herod puts a death warrant out for Jesus. And in fact, he was so worried about this king of the Jews that he would try to kill him. And luckily, God sent an angel to warn him, and they fleed to Egypt. And the Bible doesn't tell us how long he's in Egypt. It says when Herod dies, they hear about it, they go back to, to Nazareth. And that's the last time we hear about Jesus as a baby. Until he's about 12 years old. And that's where our story begins. Luke chapter 2, verse 40, 41 says this. Every year, Jesus' parents went to Jerusalem for the Passover festival. When Jesus was 12 years old, they attended the festival as usual. After the celebration was over, they started home to Nazareth. But Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not miss him at first, because they assumed he was among the travelers. But when he didn't show up in the evening, they started looking for him, them among friends and relatives. So Jesus' family's on a road trip. Now, for some reason, my wife and I decided when my son was a month and a half to go on a multi-state driving road trip. Now, it was actually really good because he just slept. I don't, um, can't imagine doing that same trip now because he wants to be moving. But throughout our marriage, my, Jacqueline and I have moved in, uh, for the for dorm room to dorm room or, or to our house and our apartment. And, and I had to pack us up and, and move us. And we've done multiple trips since we've been married. And, and I had the packing of the CRV down to a science. I knew where everything had to go. I knew it took me about 30 minutes to really get things packed so we can leave on time. Now, we have a child. So I get done about halfway done packing the CRV, and I go upstairs to my wife, who's getting the last bit of things ready, and I go, would you like to go on this trip with us? Because we don't have the room. There's no room at the CRV. So I had to readjust how to do it, and I had to re-put it together, and, and, you know... It reminds me of life, because we can get, be prepared for things. We think we're prepared for things. But we try to be. But sometimes life throws us curveballs. And even as small as, you know, a car being packed for a trip, I mean, these curveballs of life can sometimes derail us, frustrate us, hurt us. See, what I've learned about life being a parent is you can never be too prepared and you can't do it by yourself. See, it wasn't for so many people we have in our lives. My wife and I would have a very difficult time raising Liam. We need people. We need each other. And that's why in our, in our walk with God, we can't do it alone. It's impossible. We weren't meant to do this thing called our walk with God alone. It was never meant to be that way. 
You know, if I didn't have Marcus and Alex in my life, I don't know what my road would look like. And it's in the same when you walk with your personal walk. We, we love our small groups and small groups that we have here at Polaris because we feel they're, they're important to surround yourselves with other followers of Christ to grow. Because when you go through the good times, they're there to celebrate with you. And when you go through the darkness and you have rough periods of time, they're there to, to be with you, mourn with you, and walk you through it. That's why I think having someone to keep you accountable, an accountability partner, is so important because they lift you up and then when necessary, they take you down because you need that. Because as, as, as prepared as you might be for life, there's always going to be something. You know, for students, a, a test or ACT coming up could be the thing that kind of derails your week. You need someone to help you through that. You know, maybe there's a job interview coming up and, and you're nervous or scared because you don't know what that means. You know, maybe there's a relationship you're trying to fix or mend and, and, and you're just waiting for the moment to do so and, and you need help guiding through that. That's why it's so important to surround yourself with people because you can't do it by yourself. And so you hear the story of Mary and Joseph. And what's the first thing they did? They looked among the relatives and, and friends for Jesus. That's the first thing they did when they realized Jesus was gone. And so the story continues. Luke chapter 2, 45. When they could not find him, they went back to Jerusalem to search there. Three days later, they finally discovered him in the temple sitting among the religious teachers and listening to them and asking questions. All who heard him were amazed by his understanding and answers. His parents didn't know what to think. His mother said, Son, why did you do this to us? Your father and I have been frantically searching for you everywhere. Now, I haven't lost my son yet. Not saying I'm looking forward to that day or hopefully that never comes. But Liam is starting to walk. If you've ever seen him try to walk around here, it looks like uh, he's just having a good time and falling every couple feet, and he's happy. But he's been mobile for a long, long time. He's been mobile probably since August with his crawling. And we've learned a new fact at the Ivy House, that if it's quiet for a long period of time, he's into something that he probably knows he shouldn't be. And there's a handful of things around the house that... He knows he can't touch. One's our television because he likes to press the buttons now. Um, you know, one right now is my train around the tree and the tree itself. But the other thing is a lamp. He loves, not this lamp in particular, but it's just like one I have at home. He loves this thing. And I, ha I have a picture of him. <clears throat> so yes, you know, and the face says it all. He goes, uh-oh, dad's watching me. He's going to say the N-word, the no-word. I don't like that word. It makes me angry. But what he does is he walks over to it, he pulls himself up, and I don't know if he wants to throw it on the ground or, or just say, ooh, a lamp. I, we, he loves this thing. The, you can see our, our little coffee table there. He now crawls underneath that, thinking we can't see him through the glass. <laughs> and, and he just tries to get this thing. So, so being a parent has taught me something new, a new definition of fear. 
I fear for this little guy's life, his well-being, his development. I have never cared about the word poop until I met my son. And I remember like a couple days into him being born, word he wasn't pooping yet, and I was like scared. And I'm like, what's wrong with me? I don't care anyone else besides him now. Um, but he, this new definition of fear makes us teach him the no word. And he continuously loves to press us. So a couple weeks ago, I take my, Fridays are my, usually my day off, and I'm hanging out with him, and I'm in the living room doing something, and I keep on telling him no, 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 Liam, no. And, and after about 30 minutes and 20 plus no's, the words leave my mouth, and right after I'm hit like a freight chain, I said, well, how many times do I have to tell you no before you get it? then I'm reminded how many times God has to tell me no before I get it. You know, whether it's a sin that I struggle with or a temptation that I battle, or whether it's just not making the time for him that I should, I mean, I'm sure if God was me, he'd be like, really? And the enemy does something really funky here. He, he puts the guilt on me, and he tries to convince me that, well, eventually he's going to say, you're not worth it anymore, David. You're, you're, you've told, he's told you no so many times, he's just done with you. But here's a fact. God is for us. No matter how many times... He tells you no, he's for you. We have an advocate that is God, and he came flesh. And, you know, like Alex even said at Christmas time, that the, the thing that separates Christianity from all the world religions is all the world religions, we, they have to earn their forgiveness. That's not the case with God. His forgiveness is there. He wants to protect you. And he's, he's fearful for your life and soul, so much so that he sent his son to die for you. And it's the same with Mary and Joseph, as scared as they were when they couldn't find Jesus. And the same with me, every time I'm worried about this lamp falling on my head and, and crushing my little guy's head. Jesus is scared for your heart and your soul and who you are. To me, it makes me feel better in knowing that he's for me because I have a lot of things in this life that are probably against me. But when the God of the universe is for you, who can really be against you? And, and so this, this story that we are talking about concludes at the end of Luke 2. And Jesus tells his mother, why do you need to search for me? Didn't you know I must be at my father's house? But they didn't understand. Those parents never did. When he returned to Nazareth, he obeyed them. And his mother stored all these things in, his, in her heart. And Jesus grew in wisdom and stature and favor of God and all the people. So what does Jesus do as a, as a 12-year-old teenager? How many times have you tried to teach your parents a lesson? How did that work for you? Not so good. Uh, Jesus takes moments in, in, to try to tell his parents, hey... 
I'm, I'm here for, as a purpose. And granted, his, his parents didn't really get it at the time. But that's what Jesus and God does in our lives. He gives us opportunities every day. Now, I love watching Liam grow because he does things different every day. And, and what he does, he sees something he wants to learn. He perfects it. And he knows it. And it's the same pattern over and over, whether it's be, you know, from, you know, how to feed himself to how to walk to, to how to pick up a toy. He sees something he wants to learn, he perfects it, and then he knows it. And every day he grows. See, I, I kind of want to be like my 11-month-old when it comes to my walk with God. I want to see something that God wants me to know. I want to perfect it and then know it and live it. And it's something that I want to do every day. And actually, Paul writes in, a, in Ephesians that, you know, we must make the most of our opportunities because the days are evil. And, and what it means is that every day, God's going to have a moment for you to grow. In, in, whether it be a small step or a massive step, and, you know, maybe the growth thing today is that you actually you read, you read your Bible. Maybe your growth thing today is is that, you accept him as your savior. You know, all the steps don't have to be the same, but he wants you to grow. That's the idea of a relationship with God. It's a relationship. And so the, the story comes to an end on a learning moment. And we don't hear about Jesus in the scripture until he's around 30 years old at the beginning of his ministry. So you, I assume Jesus just was a guy. He was, you know, probably learned how to be a carpenter and, you know, probably just doing life and living in Nazareth until it was time for him to be baptized and start his ministry. And so at the end of the story, I, I, you know, I'm thinking about what 2013 has brought me and my family. And honestly, one of the greatest years that I've ever lived you know, if you look back in my history, I can say this is one of the top. My son was born on January 30th. Polaris moves into this building, and I'm amazed this summer watching us transform that children's center into a, one of the best preschools there in this area. The softball team won a championship. <laughs> I mean, who would have thought of that one? But, you know, when you go into the playoffs and you're two and eight, you don't think you have a chance. But it's been a great year. And I'm excited for what's to come. I'm excited for 2014. I'm anxious to see what God has planned. Because, you know, I keep on telling God my whole life that, you know, wherever you want me to go, God, I'm going to follow you. I mean, you just lay the tracks. I'm just going to run the train. And... You know, sometimes it's easy, sometimes it's not. And I'm, I'm excited and anxious to see what kind of tracks he's got for me and my family this year. But I tell the students uh, almost every week that if there's no action behind what we learn and what we talk about on Sundays and Wednesdays at Bible study, then it's just words. I mean, we have to, there has to be some kind of action involved in what we do. And, and so for me... My action steps for this year to help me grow and, and be ready for what God has for me are simple. You know, one, I want to continue to surround myself and build very strong relationships, you know, with people who are going to keep me accountable and, and guide me through life. Because I think that's so precious and so important for us. 
you know, uh, two, I have to always convince myself every day, because if I don't, the enemy is going to attack me. God's for me. No matter what, God is for me. And, and to me, it gets me excited and keeps me focused. And lastly, I want to make the most of my opportunities. Because they're going to happen every day. And I want to be more like my 11-month-old. I want to grow every day. There's a um, sports commentator by the name of Jim Ross. And he once said that greatness is when opportunity meets hard work. And he was talking about a sporting event, and, and but that to me, ever since I've heard that phrase, you know, I think of it as I walk with God. Because I want to have a great relationship with God. I just don't want to have a good one. I just don't want to have, oh, I'm a Christian. I want to have a great relationship with him. So what means I have to work at it every day. And those opportunities, when they come, I've got to take advantage of them. Now, will it lead to perfection? Absolutely not. But it will lead to a great relationship with God and a great 2014. So I want to pray, and I think Marcus and the band has another song, and um, we'll call it a day. Father, we thank you for your son and, and his forgiveness. And, and Father, I thank you for the blessings you have poured out on my life. I stand before you honored to be a part of 2013 and I am anxious for what you have to come. And Lord, I want to follow you and I want to go where you want me to go and I ask you to guide all of our steps in 2014. Allow us to grow closer to you. Allow us to want a great relationship with you and, and desire that and not just be a Christian. Because if we're going to impact the generations that come, we must strive for your greatness. And Lord, that's my goal. Bless this day. Your son, we pray.